Welcome to What Living Means. I'm Vanessa Jasinski. The weather is heating up again, which can only mean that Memorial Day is just around the corner. Charcoal grills and backyard gatherings across this great country are firing up in celebration. It is a day to reflect on the great sacrifices made by our servicemen and women in the line of duty. In this episode, we'll recognize the incredible service that veterans perform each and every day in our own community. We'll catch up with Yes Community's own Navy SEAL slash superhero, Brian Doherty. He details preparing for the worst, life on active duty, and the sacrifices military families make at home. But first, we'll hear from David Glattfelter. David is a Marine Corps veteran and Team Rubicon gray shirt leader for the Denver metro area. David and Team Rubicon utilize veteran military experience to lead volunteer disaster relief projects from wildfire mitigation to battling COVID-19. May their inspiring words and commitment serve as a testament to the will of veterans everywhere. You know, what makes Team Rubicon different from other disaster relief efforts out there? So what, what is it about Team Rubicon that's so special and different? Team Rubicon definitely falls in line with a lot of the other VOAD groups, which is uh, volunteer organizations active during a disaster. And I think we're right around 110, 112,000 gray shirts or, or people that are signed up for Team Rubicon in the, in the country. And you know, it was definitely predicated based off of a bunch of veterans that were just kind of running towards that sound of gunfire. And we do share some similarities with some of the other VOADs during the process, but I think we kind of set ourselves apart by being driven by the veteran, right? Being driven by that former military member or former military spouse, or, you know, we have, we do have civilians that we call kick butt civilians or the other word civilians, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, first responders or wherever that might be. So I think that's really what sets us apart. You know, I've done work with Habitat for Humanity. I've done work with some of these other organizations and, you know, it's really a good environment, but, but it's not the camaraderie that you see in the Team Rubicon uh, ranks. And and I've been with Team Rubicon now for, goodness, since 2017, 2016. So five, six years, you know, I've been in the Metro level. So we have, they're broken down kind of in the, in the same way that, um, you know, the military aspects broken down, right? We have Metro teams or, or teams that cover the cities. Then we have geographic area teams that cover, that's what I'm at right now. So I'm a geographic planning associate. So I basically cover all of Colorado. So all seven Metro teams in Colorado and then Wyoming, and then you have the branch teams. So it's just kind of, you know, small, medium, and then bigger aspects and teams. And um, just the the camaraderie and the, that aspect of it is really what sets Team Rubicon apart with some of the other organizations that I've worked with in the past in regards to that disaster response and, and mitigation aspect. Tell me a little bit about some of the disaster relief you've done here in Colorado. I know we had major fires that yeah. happen. I mean, <laughs> you know, are those some of the things that you go out with your team and help with the relief efforts? So over the past couple of years, um, we, we helped out with the big flood that happened back in 2012, 2013. I'm sorry, my years start start kind of rolling together. But the big flood that happened up in Boulder County, the, the Freedom Fire that happened down in the south side, um, down in the 
um, where was that? Walsenburg, Pueblo area. And then obviously this year we had, I think, 250,000 acres burn or almost 300,000 acres burn across Colorado. So we're, we're here. Um, you, you know, it's definitely we've done a lot of mitigation work and trying to prevent the stuff from happening. Um, but then we've also, you know, we were built and, and we kind of put our sweat on our brow based off of the response aspect of it. So we try and mitigate as much as possible. You know, we're, we're trying to fall in line as much as possible with FEMA, but also, you know, realizing that, Hey, this might need help. So I went up and did the reconnaissance. We sit on the board for the Larimer County long-term recovery group that they're standing up and how they're kind of working through. So they've got, you know, Baptist that they're working with up there. They've got another couple VOADs that are working up there. So we're kind of filling in where we where we're needed. We're here to augment. We're not, you know, being drawn upon to draw plans of where we think sandbags should go, but we're just providing the, you know, getting people dirty. That's what we like to say is you know, we got people coming out and filling sandbags and swinging chainsaws and and trying to pick up the pieces after it happens or uh, be able to mitigate it and, and help out before that process goes through as well. So tell me a little bit more. I mean, you're a veteran, you've been very active with Team Rubicon, but what makes veterans really excel at public service or volunteerism? Um, is it kind of just inherent in who you are? And Yeah. <laughs> what makes you want to go out and do this after what makes, you what makes us tick yeah, yeah. no I, I think um so yeah i'm a marine corps veteran I, I raised my right hand five days before the towers fell in 2001 mm. uh, i went over and and uh, did iraq for oif1 and did afghanistan in 2005 2006 and got out and you know was like okay well time to trade in my rifle for a lunchbox and go and, and do work and stuff you definitely realize very quick that the civilian world is not the same rough and tumble as it is what it is. And, and you can't do the same stuff in there. So to come out and, you know, I worked for a couple of years and, um, you know, got hooked up with a group out here when I moved out to Denver and he said, Hey, you know, you'd be, you maybe you should come out and do this. So I went out and I worked with one of the other veteran organizations with, uh, that the mission continues. And then that kind of rolled into, Hey, you, you probably come out and help out at team Rubicon as well. So it was just a natural progression, but yeah, it's amazing to see how some of the stuff doesn't change, right? Whether you're a 23 year old just got out veteran or you're a 50 year old veteran, right? There's still that that banter. There's still that fun. I mean, there's yeah. one of the one of the chainsaw instructors is a Marine Corps veteran from Vietnam, and he and I can still go back and forth just like we just got out three days ago, you know. So to have that yeah. that kind of coat of arms or whatever it is, that's kind of what makes us tick, and you know, just realizing that. If something needs to get done in that scenario and in that process, right, it's it's something that doesn't need to be asked and then re-asked and then, you know, rehashed out and everything else. It's like, hey, we need to go do this. Okay, well, let's go do that, right? So to have that mentality, to have that calm amongst all the chaos that is a post-tornadic event or a post-hurricane or, you know, an act of fire burning in the area of operation, like to have that much calm and to, to be able to lean to your left and to your right, based off of the people that you know served in the same crap that you served in. <laughs> that might not be the right vernacular, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. To have somebody that, that you know has your six um, definitely makes it that much more worthwhile. Yeah, the camaraderie, that loyalty, and, and just even coming from that background, you already have processes and things already kind of figured out. Can I ask also, how can we support our veterans, um, whether it's in the work environment or just in general? And, and I think the, the best support that, that I've received coming back and, 
going through that is is just that you know that kind of silent process like my when i got home um you know i came back from the service and i I moved in with my dad and and he was just like hey listen like if it's something that you want to hash out it's something you want to talk about you know we can have that conversation he was he was a vietnam guy he you know all his Mm -hmm. buddies went away and came back and and he saw it and he knew you know, it was kind of that unspoken bond type mentality. So for somebody being removed from that situation, right, my dad didn't, my dad didn't go, he was the oldest of five kids, and, you know, was basically just kind of skipped over based off of it. But he's, he got to watch his friends leave and most came home, some didn't, but he kind of already had that understanding of, okay, like, this is, this is what this process looks like, and not pushing it, and not, you know, how, what did you see, and what did you do, and stuff like that. If, if, if somebody wants to talk about it, right, they're going to come out, and they're going to have that conversation, and I've kind of taken that stance. I speak at middle schools every year, and I, I, I kind of have that education process, but not everybody has that, right, and and not everybody has that, that gumption to be able to speak in a public setting, um, but I look at it as an opportunity to educate. So, you know, kind of feeling out and kind of seeing what that person's comfortable with, that's rule number one, right? Because if you're sitting there asking him pointed questions and and trying to pull stuff out of him, he might not want to have that conversation. But yeah. Um just like, hey man, I'm here if you need to, if you need to talk to me or I'm here if you need to have that conversation. Just that kind of support is is really really helpful for the for the military or for the guys that are coming back that have that have been over there and done something that, you know, they may or may not have the mental cognition to understand or to comprehend until a couple years later. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, it's, I'm curious, like, what did you do over there? But at the same time, you have to be, you have to be so cognizant. (laughs) You don't want to ask questions that you don't want the answers to, right? That's the, that's the name of the game, right? (laughs) Yeah. Give me all that confidential, you know, government stuff. I'm not supposed to know. Right. Right. Oh, well, um, so what what would you even say, Dave, in terms of jobs and things that veterans excel in when they return or what what industries could benefit from veterans? I think any industry could. But is there anything that you see that veterans really sort of gravitate towards more? I've risen through the ranks. I've been with the Department of Veterans Affairs now for uh, what, almost nine years. I started off there at the Office of Community Care and, and, and just kind of went through and, and, and worked my way up. And, and now I've gotten into that like upper leadership role and being able to see kind of what that span of control is, right? The one th- good thing about veterans is, is they have the ability to kind of control different areas and different processes at the same time. Some guys like being able to mold the clay and some guys like talking about the clay, right? I always look at it as how people learn and how people process. But one thing that I've definitely seen with other veterans is is, is they have the ability to go off of a percentage of the plan. One of my favorite bosses I ever had, he said, listen, Dave, he said, I can execute a plan based off of 70% of the plan, right? I don't need every single detail. I don't need everything fleshed out in order to execute what that process should look like. And if we hit the bumper on the left or hit the bumper on the right when we're bowling, then we we correct it. But I think that's really one of the big things that the military is, has taught us is, listen, everything in this mission is not going to go to plan, right? And you need to be okay with that. And you need to be able to mitigate what you can, but you also need to be able to react what you can't. So uh, I, I think that's definitely speaks volumes for what the military can bring to the table in that regard. You know, I know you'd mentioned that you work with the VA and how do you help veterans with that mental health and coming back? Let me go ahead and, and, and kind of preface it with, I took 10 guys to Afghanistan. I came back with 10 guys. Mm-hmm. Every single guy that came back had a different manifestation 
of readjustment back into the civilian world, right? And 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 some guys they don't want to be part of, right? They don't want to be part of that. They want to go jump out of helicopters. Um, I, I got a buddy that he's a, a hotshot in the California, you know, fire department. And that's what he does. He literally jumps out of helicopters into into fires and fights fires. And it's like, cool, man. If that's what you want, right? If that's the adrenaline junkie aspect that you want out of it, like awesome. And then I've also got guys that, you know, kind of recourse and come back into it. Um, I think for Team Rubicon, realizing that this is my Zen, right? This is my happy place. This is where Mm -hmm. people let me, you know, go into a house and pull everything out of a house and knock down trees with chainsaws once I've been certified and this, that, and the other. And, And one thing that I try and do if I'm in control of the situation is not waste people's time, right? As Mm -hmm. we start getting older and as we start realizing that, Hey, this is, this is finite, right? This isn't just, we're going to grow old and grow old and grow old. No, there comes a point where it becomes finite and not wasting people's time um, has definitely made that much more kind of a precedent for us to say, Hey, you're going to come out here. We're going to work you hard for a day. We're going to get you dirty. We're going to give you a beer at the end of the night. We're going to wake up and we're going to do it again tomorrow. But you know, that's some people love that, that control within the chaos. And I know for me personally, it's definitely been, that's my, like I said, that's my Zen. My wife knows, Hey, he's leaving Friday morning to go and and drive up here and he's going to go swing a chainsaw all weekend. Then he's going to come back on Sunday and he's like, awkwardly rejuvenated and you know like ready to go back to work on monday so i can definitely say that yes that is that is one of our kind of core curriculums that we deal with is getting people dirty getting people to go out there and and swing sledgehammers and axes and bust stuff up and and that's you know if that's what they want to do then more power to them (laughs) that sounds pretty amazing could i do that in my white blazer that i'm wearing today bring it out (laughs) <laughs> Give me a chainsaw. I've actually yeah. gone to one of those axe places where you throw the axe. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I was like, this is fun. Oh, I yeah. like this. So, oh, yeah. no, I, I hear you. That Zen place and however you need to do that, that's that's phenomenal. Sure. Is Team Rubicon doing some things with the vaccinations and assisting with those efforts, with the distribution? We are. We've kind of fallen in line with, uh, I know FEMA's put up a couple of these super centers across the country. I think there's either six or seven of them. Don't ask me what cities they're in, but we have kind of aligned and helped out up in Portland. Um, I think there's another one out in Chicago and Atlanta. I think there's a couple other ones. Um, We're actually helping out down in Pueblo right now. FEMA's in control of a site down there that they're working on. We actually had one of our one of our gray shirts was is like the director of something or other at SCL Health, and we actually had a mass vaccination point in downtown Denver at the uh, convention center, and oh, we wow. we vaccinated five thousand unserved and underserved people. You know, we we were there and helping out with the process for getting people in, getting people parked, getting people wheelchairs or whatever else they needed. Um, and then we did it again for the second shot as well. So 5,000 people over 10 hours. Amazing. We were shooting and scooting. We were getting people in, getting people out as quick as possible. And, um, it it was definitely absolutely wonderful to be able to integrate and be able to help out because yeah, we, we absolutely got ravaged by CDC reports and COVID and, you know, just everything else that was coming down the pipeline. We were trying to figure out how we could still assist, right? We, we went from, you know, helping out after the Moore tornado in 2013, that was catastrophic, right? You're talking 10,000 houses. And now it's like, oh, well, you guys can help out at 
the food bank of the Rockies. And it's like, you know, 180 polar shift of what Team Rubicon was used to doing. But yeah, food services support, we, we did a lot with that. We did some with the uh, with the vaccination aspect, and we've been kind of helping where where that request comes in from, right? We've got a pretty robust request for assistance program. Um, and whoever that is that comes in and says, hey, I need assistance, we, we look at it and we make sure that it makes sense to us and makes sense what we're doing and how we're doing it and go out there and, and help out where it's needed. You know, I wanted to mention to you as well that, yes, communities donated $5,000 to Team Rubicon because we feel that, gosh, the mission and what you guys stand for and what you do is so meaningful and it's so in line with who we are as a company. And, you know, we want to support, you know, our veteran residents, our employees. It's very, very important to us. So I wanted to mention that and, you know, anywhere we can help out. Um, I also wanted to just thank you for your service. You know, we are so fortunate and so lucky to be in this country. I know, and the things that, you know, from a veteran standpoint that you went out and you went overseas to help make sure that we have the freedoms that we do is just absolutely amazing. And I want to tell you from, from myself and from all of us here at Yes Communities that thank you so much for your service, Dave. It means so much. I definitely appreciate the gesture and I definitely appreciate the thanks. You know, it's, it's the mentality and the process and everything else. It's, um, you know, it was hard for me because I, I always tell people I'd never know what to do with my hands when somebody thanks me for my service. But you, you kind of get to this point where you realize that you look at the veterans past, you look at the veterans present, you look at the veterans future, and you, you, you kind of have that culture that you need to uphold. So um, thank you for the thanks. You know, like I said, it, it was it was hard for me to, to understand that when I first got home, right? I looked at it, I viewed it as a job, but it's not a job, right? It was something that I volunteered to do. I put myself in a situation that could have gotten me hurt or worse. And, you know, I came back and, I, you know, I always tell people, I, I think I screwed myself up and I injured myself more playing sports than I did getting <laughs> shot at and getting blown up. So it, it's, it, it's, it's definitely weird, um, the process that goes through that, but um, you, you hold on your on your back and in your heart the guys that didn't make it home or the guys that got pretty pretty beat up over there. So definitely thank you. Um, obviously, like I said, for the gesture as well as for the donation. But uh, that's not why we do it. But it's definitely appreciated. So thank you much. Brian Doherty is a Naval Reserve officer and Yes Communities employee. After recently returning from active duty, we asked Brian about how his Navy SEAL training translates to his role at the office and how he downshifts to home life after being on alert 24-7. What is your military affiliation and how did you get involved? I'm affiliated with U.S. Navy. Specifically, I'm in the Navy Reserves. Uh, I did uh, eight years active duty in the Navy as a Navy SEAL, and that's kind of what I'm doing now in the Reserves of the Navy SEAL. And I came into the Navy at 29 really because I was failing to launch in life, and I was bored. I didn't like what I was doing. I needed a bit of a challenge, so I joined the military at 29. And I was working commercial real estate, had a degree in finance, work in corporate America prior to that. So you were in corporate America and then you decided to become a Navy SEAL. Now, 
I know this is not on the script, but I've always heard stories about becoming a Navy SEAL and how intense it is. I know you can't give us any Navy SEAL secrets, but what kind of things do you have to endure to become a Navy SEAL? Because I hear it's pretty intense. It is. And it's as intense as you want it to be, really. The things that you endure is kind of that voice inside your head saying you can't do it or you're too tired and you want to quit. The training itself was the most fun I've ever had that I never, ever, ever want to do again. <laughs> and so physically, the stuff that you endure are early mornings, late nights, constantly being cold, constantly being wet, constantly doing push-ups, constantly doing sit-ups. You're constantly in the ocean. You're just, you're just constantly moving 24-7 with very, very little sleep. And I say it's the most fun that I've ever had. That sounds really, that sounds great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's pretty intense. And, and so when you add all that together, you know, really at the end of the day, what you're enduring is is the voice inside your head that says you can't, or you want to quit, or you want to go home, or it's too cold, or or whatever it is. But I say it's the most fun I've ever had that I never want to do again, is because it's all the little things within the training that happens that kind of make you smile, that make you laugh, the stupidity that is involved sometimes with either the instructors or your classmates going through the training program. Um, it is a little fun. I've always appreciated a little bit about the SEAL program and going through the Navy SEAL pipeline is as a student, you have to draw comics every single day. And there's only one person that draws a comic. So as a class, the, the class draws a, a comic. And the comic can be about anything that the students want it to be. And so oftentimes when we draw the comic strips, we make fun of the instructors. And it just kind of humanizes a little bit the training and it brings everything down to like a personal level. And it reminds the students that, hey, you know, the instructors are human too. We're not here just to have fun, but we're here, you know, to get the mission done and train. But, you know, don't forget to smile and laugh and have a good time from, from time to time. It's interesting because, you know, for non-serving people, they must misunderstand somewhat about the military and, and the military service because, you know, you see these movies where it's so rigid and and it probably is, but at the same time, you can't take away that human element because these people that are serving our country, they're still human. They're still living, breathing, emotional beings. Yeah, I think there is a big misconception with what gets presented to the public and what actually happens behind closed doors. And you're 100% right. And why I say it's it was the most fun is because of those human elements. You know, when you're going through training, and yes, it's very serious. And when you when you mess up, it could be very serious. But if you just make a simple mistake, the ramifications could be reciting the Pledge of Allegiance or telling the funniest joke or getting wet and sandy and just having fun with kind of making a mistake and not necessarily being so serious all the time. And I think that's part of the type of people that the SEAL program, they attract. You know, what makes SEALs great is one, that we don't take ourselves too seriously. And two, it's not that we're good at what we do. It's just that we pick ourselves back up every time we fail. And to be able to do that, you gotta have a little bit of fun sometimes and you gotta laugh. This is a total self-help show and I love this because I need it today. I uh, didn't get very much sleep and, you know, being a mom, sometimes I'm like, ah, you know, but I need to pick myself up today. I need to get myself going. <laughs> I wish everyone could go through 
the at least uh, the initial SEAL tryout program because I feel that it gave me all the keys to success in life. And I think it'll give anyone the keys to success in life, no matter how you define success. And so really what it was about is, is at the end of the day, it's just learning to pick yourself back up, learning to understand that, hey, I might suck at this and that's okay that I suck at this, but I'm gonna do what I gotta do to get better. And not only do you do it for yourself, but you do it for your teammates because your teammates are counting on you. And so we, in the, in the SEALs, you know, we don't expect everyone to be perfect. In fact, no one is perfect, right? But what we do mm-hmm. expect is people to have humility, people to have self-awareness, and people to come forward and say, I'm sorry, I screwed up, I sucked, let me do it again, and then everything's good. And we strive for excellence. Yeah. Knowing that, you know, you're never going to get it. Yeah, and you talk a lot about team, which is so important because that's how I feel it is here at Yes Communities. So how, how being a Navy SEAL, how has that helped you you know, with your job here at Yes? In the SEAL program, your needs are put last, 100%. And there's a saying that says, you take care of your team gear, your buddy's gear, and then your gear. So at the end of the day, you take care of the team, you take care of your buddy, and then you take care of yourself. And you learn to do that. And through that process, you learn that what we're doing is bigger than us. So if you have to stay late or you have to come in early or, or you got a bad assignment or whatever it is, like you're able to put it in perspective and say, it's not about me. It's about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. My needs don't fit into what we're doing and don't fit into the greater cause. And that's helped me at yes, because, well, everyone, you know, everyone that has a job, you might not necessarily like what you're told to do or, you know, might not like, you know, your specific day or your specific task. But when you're able to have some perspective and take a step back and be like, you know, it's not really about me. It's about the company goals. It's about moving that dial forward for the company, for the greater good. Having that experience for me has, has enabled me to, yeah, translate that into working with yes. And I think so too. And at the core of everything that we do, you know, it's all based around our residents and they're the fundamental part of why we come to work um, to provide the best we can for them. Right. What do you find most rewarding about serving? You know, it's such a great honor to have you on our team. It's amazing that, you know, you've put yourself on hold. I know you have two young boys and a wife and you've put yourself on hold and you've put yourself out there for our country to serve our country so that we have the freedoms that we do. So what's rewarding about serving? I mean, you know, you've been gone here for about what, eight months, nine months away from family. That's hard. And so how do you, how do you find it rewarding when you're so far away on the other side of the world, so far away from family and everything that you know? I find it rewarding because people like you, the American people, I believe in what America stands for. You know, we're not perfect, but at least we give everyone a fighting chance. I really believe in that. I remember when I was deployed, my first deployment, and I received a random gift from someone. And in the gift, there was a message that said, hey, we love you. Thank you so much. How can we help you? Like, I've n- I, I never met these people. They just sent me a gift with a card. When I had received that gift and I read that note, it really just kind of made everything make sense for me those notes and people like you and all these programs that help veterans out and all these people that say thank you that's what makes it rewarding for me that's what keeps me going so what are the most intense sort of trainings that you can describe to us of course 
but what kind of training exercise have you undertaken that is so intense or what's something that's challenged you mentally, physically to the extreme? So we train in all environments across the globe. So we will jump from, we'll jump from airplanes. We'll scuba dive in the water. We'll train in the desert. We'll train in the jungle. We'll train and everywhere in between. And, and all those trainings always involve some sort of live fire type elements because we like to train how we fight. And so I think the most intense training that I have done that I really do enjoy is desert training. So we go out to a location in California where it's super hot, it's desolate, no one's there, and we do a lot of live fire training. And that to me is a little bit more challenging than some of the other training that I've done because it involves your entire platoon. It involves coordinating with 20 other people, involves coordinating with other elements on the move, shooting guns, being safe, accomplishing the mission. So there's just a bigger sense of coordination and awareness that has to take place versus, you know, skydiving where, yeah, I still have to coordinate, but I'm jumping out of the airplane. It's just me going through my procedures, making sure I'm safe, making sure I'm not running into someone else. And same thing with diving. There's a saying in the teams that, you know, you'll figure out what kind of team guy you are, what kind of Navy SEAL you are by going to the desert and training because it's just so hard. It's hot, it's hard, it's heavy, it's loud. Sometimes it hurts. And at the end of the day, it just feels like a job well done. You keep on bringing up this theme of team, which I think is so important because I think, you know, even in the private sector or working with private companies, you know, you have to work as a team. You have to work across multiple divisions, departments to collaborate, to ensure that you're carrying out the vision or the mission. Why do you think it would be valuable for companies to hire veterans? I think what veterans bring to the table that maybe other people don't bring to the table is is that ability to work in teams and the ability to understand that the mission comes first and your needs come second. Mm -hmm. Now, I get that the military is different from the civilian sector, but when you bring a veteran into the civilian sector, they're more team-oriented, mission-focused than their individual needs. And I think if I had to guess, for people who are trying to manage and run a company, it's easier for them to move the needle forward if they have everyone focusing on the mission. Mm -hmm. Then they can focus on the mission. But when you have individual people focusing on their needs and their happiness and all that stuff, it makes it, it distracts from focusing on, on the mission or the company goals, in my opinion. So I know you were just abroad recently. How just you coming back is there this significant adjustment time being overseas and doing the things that you guys do? It's, I mean, you said it's a 24 seven job when you're gone and here coming back, you know, we, we work our time at the company, but how do you reacclimate yourself? This would be my third deployment. So I'd like to think I'm smarter than I was on my previous two deployments. It's a bit of a challenge to reacclimate. I mean, it's a challenge for everyone who's in my life and I come back. Everyone has to reacclimate, you know, they're reacclimating to me and I'm reacclimating to them. What helps is finding a sense of purpose again 
And, you know, like I said, there's all these great organizations, even like Team Rubicon, they provide people a sense of purpose. They provide that smooth transition for people to kind of have one foot in the door with a sense of purpose and a mission and helping other people and the civilian world where the transition can be difficult. For me personally, I, I enjoy talking to other veterans. I enjoy hanging out with other service members. I enjoy doing podcasts like yours that talk about my experience. The, things like that help me reacclimate. It is a bit strange for me. I've been back home for a week now and I catch myself. I'm a little uneasy because I feel like I need to be doing something. I feel like I have to get up and go somewhere because you're, it's a 24 seven job in the military and you're constantly having to do something. You're, you're constantly responsible. You're constantly coordinating assets and things of that nature. So I, I have found myself kind of like the big challenge for me is like trying to relax and mm -hmm. I'm sitting on the couch and I'm looking around. I'm like, all right, well, what do I got to do? And I'll get up and I'm like, well, actually I don't have to do anything. I'm home now. Yeah. <laughs> See, doing that stuff, having stuff to do is fine. That helps me acclimate because I, I got stuff to do. I got to do the dishes. I got to do the lawn or whatever it is. It's probably more challenging for my family. Who's like, oh, just calm down. It's cool. We can do it. And like, an hour they're going to be there they're not going anywhere like yeah. the grass is you can do it tomorrow i'm like no 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 we got to get it now and what helps me also is just open communication and recognizing that and and being able to have like friends and family my wife be like dude just just calm down you're going to be fun it doesn't have <laughs> you don't have to be doing something right now and i'm like you're, yeah. you're right for every service member it takes time but again i'm not struggling right now and, and i'm happy to be back with my family well, I know here at Yes, we're, the team is so excited to welcome you back, Brian. Um, you know, just. I miss you guys so much. Oh, we miss you. And I know we've got so many projects and things that we're working on. You know, it takes someone with guts and integrity and loyalty to be able to go and do the things that you do. And thank you for everything. Yes has been very understanding my time in the service. There have been numerous people who've maintained contact with me at Yes. There have been numerous people who've who've reached out to me to let me know that they were thinking about me. And so things like that had made it so much easier than it could have been. And I really attribute that to the type of people that Yes hires, the culture that Yes has put mm -hmm. in place. And so you know, when you say that, I appreciate that very much. So thank you. But I, I would like to say one thing too, is, is it's not so much the service member, you know, that's making the sacrifice in that think about the families too of the service members, because yeah. the kids, yeah. the father's not home for the kids, the father's not home for the wife, you know, they also make that sacrifice. And in many ways, I think there should be a day that's more for the service member families and not so much the service member themselves. And I think that's really where the big sacrifice comes in. You know, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to What Living Means. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Vanessa Jasinski, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>